If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hi, this is Gianni, and you're listening to Light Map by Sifter. This is a special episode for you, a panel that we presented at PAX Australia, talking about why Australia is one of the worst places in the world for banning video games. And the reason why that is, well, a really outdated classification system. It is a set of rules that are really narrow, and it means games that previously have been highlighted for their wholesome nature end up getting restricted for sale due to a single instance of player choice to take an illicit drug. It's a really fascinating conversation, uh, and it was a lot of fun to put together. So, let's jump in. I want to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and pay respect to elders past and present, and I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, peoples here today, tuning in perhaps all around the world. Today on this panel, which is... Why won't somebody think of the children? Why Australia bans video games for PAX Australia? Uh, is Ginny Maxwell, games and digital journalist at Screen Hub, the Saturday paper, everywhere, uh, and host of Acme's Women and Non-Binary Gamers Club. Hello, Ginny. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We have Ari Offman, programmer, public programs and curator video games at Acme. Hi, Gianni. And Chad Toprak, the director of Free Play and one half of creator, a curator duo, Hover Garden. Hello, Chad. Hello. And my name is Gianfranco De Giovanni, but you can call me Gianni, and I'm the executive producer of sifter.com.au. What is your favorite game uh, that has been refused classification in Australia? That, that's a big call. Um, I, I can talk about current ones, um, but th- th- there's, there's, been, there's been plenty throughout the years. Uh, Currently, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping my T-shirt. Currently, probably my favourite is Sludge Life. I do love it. It's, uh, it is an amazingly fun game. It's got such a great, uh, such a great art style. It's got a great sense of humour to it. Um, it was one of those ones I was quite surprised when it was refused classification. Um, and uh, if you are interested, you can still pick it up on one of the online storefronts. Uh, not Steam, but the other major one. So, yeah. Go check it out. My my favorite would probably have to be Hotline Miami. Um, it's it's great. I love the fast action, um, act like fast paced action kind of um, vibe to it. The music is fantastic. I'm a big fan of the music, um, and yeah, I, it just it feels really great to play. And it's just yeah, it was weird when when it was refused classification um, when the second one came out, and I think. The first one, I think, were, had initially received an MA rating, but then uh, was refused classification um, once it kind of bundled with 
with with this, with the second one or something like that. Um, but what's what's funny is that the developer was just like, oh, you should just pirate the game. Like, I don't really care. Um, and yeah. Uh, I think um, mine would definitely be State of Decay, which was given an R18 classification after changing, uh, I think, st- stimulant drugs to vitamins. Um, it's a zombie survival game that kind of focuses more on community building and resource management combined with the occasional, uh, you know, high energy foray into the zombie infested wilderness. It's that series. Absolutely the best. (laughs) Um, And the hundreds of hours that I have in the initially refused classification of Left 4 Dead 2, uh, which was, uh, changed for both Australia and Germany, which again has another famously quite strict uh, classification system. Uh, We actually went to America in order to buy a copy that wasn't, uh, you know, limited in a way that we came to Australia. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning, because I think most people who've played games in Australia for a while would have come across the situation where one of the favourite games that they're looking forward to, something they're excited for, uh, has come up against the Australian classification system uh, and has come a cropper. Um, Ari, why do we classify games in Australia? Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, and I suppose what it ties into is the fact that uh, games are, uh, are viewed as screen media within Australia. So like with all other screen content, whether we're looking at films or television shows, they need to come under the classification uh, system which means that people are able to make informed choices about what they watch and what they consume. Um, and, of course, particularly as it comes to with video games, parents are able to make uh, you know, um, informed choices about what, um, about what their kids play and consume. And so look, the, the way the classification system works, I'm sure most of us will be familiar with the kinds of ratings that we have here in Australia, you know, ranging from G, which is uh, general, and that means sort of suitable for everyone, right up to um, R-rated content, which is uh, only is just restricted for people 18 years and older. But I suppose what a lot of people don't understand is the process by which things are classified and the fact that dependent on the media format and the actual the form of the media that we're consuming, they are actually judged very differently. So when we're talking about classification, there are several things that that we that a classifier and the classification board looks at. Uh, and they fall within six categories. So the six things that we look at when you're classifi- classifying a video game or any other piece of screen media are violence, sex, language, drug use, nudity, and themes. But more than that, we also look at um, the, the way that this uh, these classifiable elements are portrayed. Um, and so the second thing that you look at as a classifier um, are the themes, uh, sorry, not the themes, the impact that this has. And the, the impact, like, is looked at in a variety of ways. So specifically, um, is it a prolonged depiction? So, for example, you know, let's say we have a depiction of something violent. Does it occur only for a quick split second and then we cut away? Or is it, it, it like, shown on screen in a in a graphic and prolonged manner? Um, also, we look at the sort of realism around it. Um, so, again, is it quite a cartoony depiction? Is it comedic in the way that it's done? Or is it, of course, in, uh, quite serious in the way that things are depicted? Um, finally, the other thing that is taken into account is the context 
around why a cloud or something is shown. So um, is the is the classifiable element, for example, the violence? Is it key to the storyline? Is it key to what is being portrayed and and uh, the narrative and and all that? Or is it something that's shown for more of a gratuitous reason? So all of these things are kind of taken into account. Now, I suppose what we're coming to the crux of today is that video games are, are classified and judged in a very, very different manner to other screen media formats. And I think that's where our panel wants to delve into. Right in. Ginny, why is it that uh, you think video games are judged differently uh, when it comes to classifying, unlike a film, unlike other pieces of screen media or movie or anything else we would look at? Well, I think the first contributing uh, factor is actually in the title of our panel, Uh Particularly in the 80s and 90s, uh, in fact, I would say particularly in the 90s, video games were very much thought of as uh, essentially toys, things that were for kids, aspects of play, rather than uh, necessarily having much of a relation to kind of film or television or other screen arts at all. So when games like Mortal Kombat came out, that not only depicted violence, but depicted violence with uh, a level of uh, visual uh, clarity that video games hadn't really had access to recently, uh, people were shocked. Um, I think another really significant contributing factor is the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s that saw a lot of kinds of play, uh, including, in fact, most infamously Dungeons and Dragons, linked spuriously to sort of satanic ritual or other sort of forms of degeneracy or corruption. I think um, these through lines uh, kind of led to an environment where people saw video games as potentially uh, very harmful to their children and, and actually harmful to the fabric of society overall. Um, now, Chad, a court in the United States wasn't able to do this, but I'm going to ask you to do it. What is a video game and how do we well, how do we even uh, determine what a video game, game is if we're going to make a set of rules that applies to video games at whole? Yeah. Oh, look, I think that's a very tricky question to answer. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if I, if I want to bother answering it. Like, look, to, uh, in, in short, like video games have, have a lot to do with with rules and systems and structures, um, interactivity. Um, but I don't think it's my role or responsibility to um, um, define what a, a video game is. I don't, I don't think definitions in this context really help because video games are constantly changing. They're evolving. What a video game is today, like the definition that we come up with today may not be the case for for what it is in 10 years' time. Um, The moment you try and define what a game is, I feel like there are are people, there are artists out there who will try and deconstruct and and break those those definitions. Um, And so... Um, my, uh, my favorite way of defining what a game is, is if the, the artwork or the game on their website says it's a game, then it's a game. Um, where do you see the biggest problem with what we have right now? Well, as you said there, it's a type of interactive experience that is varied. 
uh, at its core. It's very different. It's individual almost to every player who plays it as well. Um, how can we how can we fix this particular problem? What's the what's the solution, or, or where are the major pitfalls with the current classification system that we have? Yeah. Oh, look, I think it it really comes down to context, um, and it really needs to be handled on a case by case basis by um, a strong and, and varying panel of, of people who have those different experiences as well. Um, I think maybe looking at some historical, oh yeah, sorry, I thought I was on mute. I think looking at some historical examples kind of really uh, shows it really clearly that the classification board is failing us. When you look at like the early um the classification board for the legislation around classifying games was introduced in 95 and came into effect in 96. And if you look at the games that were banned in 96, it's sort of a fair cop. <laughs> I'm not too upset about them. There are titles like a one particularly charming one that I saw that was banned almost immediately. It was called Porntress. I'll leave it up to your imagination <laughs> as to what that game entailed. There were quite um, a lot that seemed to explicitly incentivize uh, sexual violence or sexually inappropriate behavior. It makes sense. Uh, in fact, all the early classification requests were brought by the Victoria Police, who were clearly just like, there is a totally unregulated um, market here for genuinely upsetting stuff. We gotta we gotta nip this in the bud, but then fast forward to today, uh, where I know Gianni, you recently played Lake, uh, a game that was a, an independent game uh, that was recently streamed as part of Wholesome Direct, uh, that was refused classification in Australia, which really shows that kind of this legislation doesn't fit the way games work now. Or fit the audiences who are playing these games as well, I think is an important thing. Because a game like Lake, uh, which uh, I don't think the creators would def would be upset about me saying, it, is a slow game. It's not a high-impact, exciting game that's going to be um, drawing attention from young kids. I, I really would be surprised if very little kids who would be worried about having sort of impacting sort of um, behaviours in games, you know, changing what they do in real life, would be really drawn to Lake. But, you know, that's an example where an action done by an adult in the game in the context of what has happened in this narrative thing because it met the criteria of, of what the, the, the rules said uh, was not allowed to be, uh, was refused classification. I just wanted to jump in for a second because um, just on Ginny said, said something Ginny said before, which is that the classification board is failing us. Um, and I think that, that, that that's the way that a lot of Australians feel, but I actually think it's a little bit of a misnomer in the sense that the classification board themselves have actually come out and and agreed with the statements around it, like because they are required from the from the, from the nature of what their job is to work within the legislation that is set down with them. And I think this is where the real problem comes in: is that the people who are making policy around how these classification decisions that are made, the, the politicians, etc., that are responsible for it. Um, have a complete lack of understanding around video games in general, around the audiences that play them and around their nature as, a, as an art form. And so while working for the classification board, I mean, you, you are limited to making decisions within legislation. Um, and as you've just mentioned, like with Lake, um, 
even even they realize like the the, the the slightly ridiculous nature over the decision that's had to be made over this really quite wholesome game that's that honestly like deals with with a couple of instances of quite soft drug use but in a particular way that that isn't negative um it, it uh it doesn't make a judgment on this drug use it doesn't give you a negative impact within the game and so therefore but comes under instant instant refused classification status um and i think this brings up this whole thing around context and the way that things are portrayed um and often i think that we find that it's it's games that are dealing with things in a more mature manner um, and there's things that are dealing with them in a, in a more adult manner um, that often come a cropper. I mean, I suppose one of the ones that we talked about in our pre-chat was um, was Grand Theft Auto, right? Um, and so in Lake, I mean, we've said that there's a couple of uh, a couple of references to the use of marijuana in that, um, and uh, you know, it's not portrayed negatively. It's a choice that you can make as a character, and things that's portrayed as a natural part within you know this this adult interaction, which forms the core the core gameplay loop in Lake. Um, which brings it under refused classification. Whereas in Grand Theft Auto, you can go and rip a bong um, and walk around afterwards, but because it slightly affects the way the character walks, it then doesn't fit within the guidelines um, of of being something that is refused classification. Um, and to me, I think that that highlights the crux of the issue that we're dealing with um, again. Um, Ginny, you've looked into some other examples of notable refused classifications in Australia and, and some of the potential um, remedies that people have taken. What are some of the examples that people may have forgotten about in the long history of, of uh, refusing classification in Australia? Well, I won't lie. When I was researching this, I got pretty derailed by the existence of Pontrus. <laughs> it took a lot of my it took a lot of uh, my attention, um, but. In uh, many cases, uh, particularly recently, uh, games have been reclassified after a dispute from the developer that kind of reframes the way that uh, problematic um, problematic or like contentious behaviour is framed. Uh, I think a recent example of that, of that would be uh, Disco Elysium, uh, the final cut, which was refused this year, I think, uh, due to having themes of drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, and uh, when the classification board kind of reissued their statement and classified the game as 18 plus rather than refused classification, um, they noted that essentially it's almost a philosophical argument, right? The issue was that there was a character who abused drugs and alcohol, but they decided that Overall, it didn't actually incentivize or glamorize that behavior, which meant that it could kind of fall under the R18 rating. Chad and Ari, if people are coming to an event space and you have got games there that you are showing off, can you think about some of the considerations about setting that right context uh, so that the people know what they're coming into uh, and what they're going to expect so you can display things that uh, may not be uh, rated in Australia? Um, yeah, absolutely. So when we're hosting um, public events or, or festivals or um, things like parallels, um, um, we'll, if, we, if we have any um, games or talks that are 
kind of sensitive. Um, you just have content warnings or trigger warnings, you know, because uh, a, a lot of the talks that we we um, feature as part of free play or parallels do tackle um, themes revolving around um, death and depression and suicide. Um, and those are very important topics to discuss um, and and even more so in 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 video games. Um, and, um, you know, for, for us, it's just letting the audience know beforehand, um, and then the audience able to make that decision for themselves. Um, and, you know, the same goes for a public space or an exhibition. Um, if you are going to have games or content that, that, are, um, that are sensitive, um, you, you either have them placed in a, in a, um, separate room or separate corner that has like very obvious, um, signage saying that, you know, things in this room, um, deal with so-and-so, um, 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 themes and yeah. And, and, and the rest is really up to the audience. You know, um, I, I would otherwise not want to, <laughs> to, um, censor, um, any, any, interesting games in 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 the um potential that you know someone might get offended or or something like that yeah because um i think what a lot of people don't realize is that there are um situations in australia organizations and um and events that can show work that hasn't been through the classification system um, with both Chad and I working for one. So both festivals and and cultural institutions like ACME, so museums, galleries can show unclassified works. Um, but what that also means is that um, we have to have particular training um, within classifying things in order to show those. Um, and so it actually gives us a few... Um, specific categories of classification that we're that we are able to that we're able to place on things so again when like for example i'm exhibiting works that are unclassified um i will actually go through the full proper classification process on that work the same as if the way as if the classification board will do i'll, I'll go through the work and look through it for every classifiable element and in the end made it make an informed judgment as to where i think it would fit um so we actually have sort of three um, classifications that allow us to show well, uh, unclassified classifications that allow us to show these works, um, which is basically a, a general unclassification. So something that doesn't contain any sort of um, uh, impactful content. Uh, we have an unclassified 15 plus. So something that would probably fit within the M or the MA rating or an unclassified 18 plus. Um, and and I, I agree with Chad. Um, I think it, it's about allowing people to make informed decisions about the content that they're going to see, that they're going to consume. Um, and, I th yeah, and that's the key purpose of classification is that it's not about censorship. It's about informed choice about content. Um, um, we touched on this a little bit before, but the, the talking about the literacy that's required for um, legislators uh, to work out exactly what a, what a game is and, and how it works in the context. Um, is there any positive steps? You've seen any sort of uh, hopeful movements? Because I, 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 like a lot of people, thought when the R18 rating came in into Australia uh, that potentially all of our classification problems would be solved. Uh, I think... It's a very interesting time politically for games in Australia. There is, I mean, 
in the last year alone, there has been so in the last 18 months, there has been a remarkable amount of uh, like legislation and policy introduced around video games, South Australian tax offset, uh, the digital games tax offset that is going to be federally available in 2022. There's so much happening. There's so much interest and uh, politicians on all sides of the political spectrum seem to be interested in talking about video games as a future-proofed industry. Um, whether this will extend to how we treat games as an artistic medium, though, I'm not so sure. I think, um, I mean, as recently as 2019, Peter Dutton invoked violent video games uh, during the Christchurch terror attack when it became clear that the terrorist was a white supremacist. He tried to redirect that towards Grand Theft Auto. It's unimaginable. <laughs> okay, just finally, the government and the opposition want social media companies like Facebook and Twitter to do more to stop live streaming of violent attacks such as the one in Christchurch. These platforms say they don't have the technology to do that. I think Facebook took off down 1.2 million um, copies of that, of that video within the first 24 hours. Do you accept their response? Uh, I accept that, uh, that they've engaged uh, with us and they certainly engage with the federal police uh, immediately. So there's no question about that. The, the issue is one of timeliness. And uh, if they don't have the technology, and there's a question mark around that, but if they don't have the technology to, to take it down, then they need to have a serious look at their business model because at the moment these companies are making literally hundreds of millions of dollars uh, out of people using social media. That's fine. But there is a special responsibility as... Uh, broadcasters have special responsibilities and other people that might communicate uh, messages. And in this case, I think uh, they are not living up to the expectation that we have. I think there's a further debate, I might say, uh, in relation to the use of computer games and uh, graphic uh, videos and uh, the way in which uh, that is accessed online. Uh, not, you okay. know, people, people buying uh, products now, they're downloading products and these companies have a responsibility uh, in a society like ours to live up to the society expectation. I think video games can be very um, politically useful, Is I guess, is what I'm trying to say. As a matter of fact, look, I mean, it, as you were mentioning before, satanic panic, moral panic, panics in general, um, screen media and media of all types have always been, um, have always been a scapegoat for for the acts, for the violence, for the things that we see inherently happening within um Within society, I mean, you can you can take it back to the earliest form, which is in the you know the eighteen hundreds when when murders were occurring, people were blaming it on penny dreadful novels and saying they were going to be the downfall of society. And it's the nature of any new media form when it comes through that it's going to be it's going to be blamed and misunderstood. Um, the thing that I find potentially interesting, though, is that when looking at video games, they're, they're not a new medium. I mean, there's something now that is, you know, 70, 80 years old if we're taking it back to its earliest form. Um, and I want to jump on to something Ginny just mentioned then, which was sort of Peter Dutton's comments um, surrounding Grand Theft Auto. And one of the key things he mentioned was about 13-year-old, 12-year-old kids playing this game um, and the impacts that it would have on them. 
Now, Grand Theft Auto is is an R18 classified game. So by saying that, firstly, I mean, it shows that even our politicians don't really have faith that the classification system is doing what it's supposed to, which is to assist parents in making informed choices. Um, but secondly, I, show, I think it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of who video game players are. And let, let's take that to the awesome research that's done by IGR. Um, every few years on the nature of, of games within the Australia within the Australian context, um, and the average age of video game players in Australia currently is thirty four years old as of the last piece of research. So when we're talking about you know how our kids are going to react to this uh, um, when talking about video games, again it, it's um, it's placing them under a context and it's it's turning them into a piece of media that is actually not realistic. It's, uh, you know, because it's not the same thing that we would say for a for a film that we're going to see or a television show that we're going to watch that we, we can't show any, uh, we cannot show any adult content because kids might get their hands on it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a fundamental misunderstanding on the part of the legislators. Um, again, there's a really great essay Dan Golding wrote back in 2012 um, uh, called uh, the Pyrrhic victory behind the R18 games um, games rating, uh, which is, look, as a must read for anyone out there. But I think it shows, look, while we have had some progress, um, the things that he highlighted within this essay um, are, are still... Um, it's uh, still really well holding. It's okay, I just wanted to give a quick quote from it because I think it kind of sums up what this this part of the conversation that we're talking about. Um, so uh, Golding says, you know, Australia will get its symbolic R18 rating. However, it's unclear as to whether the cultural importance of this form of art has been impressed upon the halls of power. I suspect it's not. As an R18 rating, as the debate stands, will not also stop sensationalist media attacks on video games and will not bestow any greater cultural legitimacy on the form. Um. I think within the 10 years or almost 10 years since that's written, um, I don't think we've seen any major shift um, in the in the broader understanding of what video games means as an art form, as a medium. Can you tell us a bit more, Ari, about the, the background of what that actually means to classify something as R18 as well? Because, you know, from, from an outsider's perspective, it looked like many things that were previously, and in fact, some things were actually previously MA15, uh, were just immediately moved into the R18 rating with no particular change to, to what that meant. How, how does that actually work? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good point. So um, I think one of the major shifts that we have seen is um, the R18 rating has done quite a bit for the Australian context. I mean, it does mean that some games which were previously immediately refused classification um, have um, are now able to be classified within Australia. So, I mean, for example, off the top of my head, you know, Mortal Kombat X at around that time was right at around that shifting time between the, the MA to the R18. And while it was, you know, banned under the MA rating, um, was allowed under the R18 due to the you know the graphic violence that's depicted within. Um, what I find quite interesting and um, is talking about the nature of interactivity on the impact of the classifier classifiable elements. Um, you know we've talked quite a bit about Lake already, um, but I think that look that's an interesting example. I wouldn't say that Lake is the the most interactive of game, although it's, it is interactive, um, uh, of course, 
I don't see that it ne- the the way in control and the character and the decisions necessarily greatly increases the impact of you know of, of the drug use uh, contained uh, therein. Um, I also think I mean we're talking quite a bit about banning games and like and refusing classification, um, and I think it's important for us to have a little bit of a think about the changing nature of the way that we can consume games and how. Um, well, how effectual and how relevant something like refusing a classification still is. So when you just read through um, uh, the legislation surrounding um, refusing classification to something, it's still written and it's still, um, uh, it's still written in such a way that, um, that physical media that is distrib- dist- requires distribution through a store or through importing is the way that we view things. And so they talk quite significantly that once something is refused classification, that there are significant fines on its importation, etc. However, we, we all know that that's not the way that most people consume games these days. They're consumed through digital storefronts. They're um, consumed online. Um, and so what like what is the end purpose of refusing classification to something? Is it to stop access to it? Um, is it to make a statement about it? Uh, because I, I would argue that by refusing classification to something, um, it may actually be so like working to the exact opposite um, purpose that you would have like that you intend. By refusing classification to something now, it receives a lot of media about it. Potential, a lot more people have heard about it now than other like like, like a game like like. Right, which is a small indie, quite a wholesome game that that may not have got a, like a nationwide audience, is now in like is now in everyone's um on everyone's radar, and potentially may actually encourage a whole group of people, whether it's kids or not, um to play the game. Now, I can't encourage kids to go and play you know R eighteen or a few classification games, but um, but I you know I, I think we need to think about. Re, re like first of all reframing the classification system with the, with the nature of interactive media um honestly having people who who know more about um about the medium about the art form having um in like uh informed uh being able to inform that process um but also thinking about the nature and the way in which we consume this media now and whether the current classification laws actually still still hold validity and serve their purpose uh i went out and immediately bought a copy of disco elysium on steam as soon as they announced that it was going to be refused classification in australia because thinking that you know the the access to that could be limited but that's not technically the case is that there are other alternative ways uh to get that no, absolutely not. I mean, uh, because classification law is enforced on a state-by-state basis, uh, it's extremely difficult uh, for any state to uh, refuse an international entity from distributing something digitally rather than through import, uh, rather than through physical import, that is. Um, and I will say uh, to just back up what both of you said about um refusal of classification kind of uh, maybe increasing a bit of hype around a game. I can tell you on the back end, looking at um, we published a review of Lake uh, for release day um, on Screen Hub, and I can tell you the number of unique page views on that review, I would say they tripled (laughs) after the game was refused classification. Suddenly everyone was talking about it. It's a really... um, 
it's a really paradoxical kind of situation. Is controversy a good sales pitch? No such thing as bad press, as they say. Also, gamers are a contrarian bunch. Um, Chad, you work with a lot of different teams uh, to display the work at, at Free Play, and you know I think there's an, uh, maybe an inherent assumption made about the sort of people that make video games. Can you tell us a little bit about like what are the teams like in Australia uh, who could potentially come up against the mechanisms of classification and find themselves on the wrong side of the uh, on the wrong side of a very expensive decision? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like games are made by. A very broad range of um, demographics. You know, you could be a young kid making games. You could be in in your late sixties, seventies, eighties, whatever. You know, making video games. Um, and we, you know, people who show their games at, at free play are, you know, pretty broad and varied as well. Um, the 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 one really sad aspect of um, a bunch of these games being refuse classification by the board is is that a lot of them you know they're independent game developers and and a lot of them don't really have the 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 capacity or um the the people power to deal and grapple with the bureaucracy that's involved with having to um um you know send through rebuttals and and chase things up like that you know like a, a huge company like rockstar can can do that no problem. You know, they can hire whole teams to do that for them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, for independent game developers, um, what you know, what is what is the human cost of that? Um, and and ultimately, it comes. It often boils down to people not being able to tell their stories, um, which is rather sad. You know. Yeah, and I, I think. Um... Chad, you've hit on a really important point there. Like when we're talking about the nature of, you know, large AAA publishers and things like Rockstar compared to small indie development teams, um, what a lot of people don't understand is actually the costs of going through the classification process in the first place. Um, You know, any company that wants to go through the process and have their game released in Australia in a classifiable way actually has to pay for that process. And if it's refused for classification, they then have to pay a significant amount to take it through the review process. Um, and again, while while a company like we'll take it to another famous example like um, Bethesda and Fallout Three, you know, with the classic example of morphine being changed to Medex, you know, a large publisher like that has the time, has the capacity, has the the financials behind them to be able to make that change within their game and then submit it for reclassification. Whereas an indie studio really doesn't have the, the a lot of the time that the um, the bank the bankroll to be able to make to do that, so it's it's a system that's un, that is unfortunately negatively impacting and weighting advantage towards these major publishers and major development companies, as opposed to to like much of the Australian game development scene, indie smaller studios who are who are telling these stories. I would even uh, speculate that not only does the current classification legislation affect what games are distributed, I would um, I would really speculate that it affects the way Australian game developers approach the kinds of stories they want to tell, knowing that there are such strictures on what is likely to get through and knowing the costs involved. Have you got any examples that you think of stories that may not be told just because of the potential legislative impact of uh, classification coming down on top of them? Uh, I think probably um, 
I guess uh, I guess an example you could give um, would be anything surrounding any kind of drug use um, or alcohol use because the notoriously the R18 rating is very, very strict on anything that could possibly be seen to incentivize uh, drug use or reward it in any possible way. Um, as I mentioned earlier, even the existence of a character with a patent substance abuse problem uh, was enough to have Disco Elysium, the final cut, immediately refuse classification. But actually there are lots and lots of stories that should be like honestly and thoroughly told uh, for adults, you know, in the appropriate context that involve uh, that involve substance use, whether that's something as minor as a single instance of marijuana use in Lake to something more complicated uh, and something uh, maybe more personal or dark. Ari? Yeah. Um, I wanted to jump off what Ginny's saying, look, uh, because I think everyone here on this panel and, and I think probably a, a vast majority of people listening to this would agree that, that games are an art form that can allow us to explore impactful real situations um in an authentic and 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 an important way um i mean look i work for, for acme the, the museum of screen culture so i mean of course of course i believe that i mean i have a, a true belief in in screen media like uh, being a form for us to explore um to explore stories, to explore explore issues, to explore themes. Um, so another one that that would that basically would cause instant banning is anything that would deal with sexual violence in a relatively realistic way. Now, look, we're not going to talk about the wide range of games out there that honestly are quite probably offensive to sensibilities. You know, things that yeah, that that really look we that 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 the the type of content that we don't want. Um, uh, people that that support like that that yeah that shows this card this um content in a well that, that shows this content in a ridiculous way but it's also an issue that i think video games can deal with in a mature a realistic and like an impactful way like any other screen format but those kinds of stories are like aren't i even able to be told um within the australian context because of the instant refusal um and Again, I suppose what we do is, well, like we need to look at this with relation to other screen, uh, other screen media forms. Like these stories can be dealt with within film. They can be dealt with within television, and like these days, even within mainstream television that you see on a major network, like um, you know, at, in prime time viewing. But for some reason, when it comes to video games, um, we have these quite clandestine and, and and blanket rules that even with the with the judging of what context means, and I think we have seen a little bit of progression in there over the years. Look, things can't quite as 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 instantaneous as they used to be, but still, um, there are the like anything that's dealing with these issues is is well is likely to come under the ban hammer pretty quickly. Do you foresee a situation where a film adaptation or a television series adaptation of a game that could be banned, would it be allowed under Australian classifications because the rules are not applied in the same way? 100%. Absolutely. Um, 
how does that sit with you? I'm really curious about your your gut feeling about the way that uh, this is a, a medium that we we spend a lot of time with uh, personally. But how does that actually feel when you when you can enjoy film, you can enjoy uh, you know television series, but a game could potentially just be full shy of the rules? Um, uh, it's it's so weird. I I feel like the um, the blanket acceptance that uh, because it is interactive. Um, that somehow equates to it being more impactful is a total logical fallacy. Um, I think it totally boils down to how how the the experience is designed and how that's um, how it's portrayed, how it's um, uh, how it's consumed. Uh, and look, you could you could have movies that are that are far more impactful than than uh, a video game or even a book, you know, like you can read a book about um, sensitive topics and get really affected or, or moved by it. Um, and that would come no way near a, a video game. And and the fact that video games are treated differently in a very blanket way um, to, to, to any other screen-based media is um, a little worrying, I would say. Kinney? Uh, I think, um, I totally agree. And I think, you know, the fact, I think it kind of goes back to the fact that at the beginning of this panel, uh, Chad sort of spoke to the fact that it is, uh, and Gianni, you did too. And so did the Apple, the Epic and Apple judgment, um, spoke to the fact that we really don't have a clear cut definition of what constitutes a video game. And it is because the field is so varied. I don't think there is, uh, even with the best intentions, I don't think there is a single set of legislation that could apply to, to everything that, uh, counts kind of that council could count under that banner. Um, in fact, uh, in terms of video game kind of rulings, one thing I found very exciting, um, just for, for a bit of context, um, the Epic uh, versus Apple lawsuit uh, recently had a judgment, and in that judgment, the uh, the the court sort of discussed the fact that neither party had actually offered an adequate explanation of what a video game is, and then offered one of their own. Um, but what they also did is reduce the terms of that particular court case from discussing video games broadly to specifically discussing digital app-based gaming microtransactions, um, thereby making a very, very specific call about what, uh, what ways their judgment was actionable. And I want to see more of that. (laughs) I want to see more of that. I would love... I would love for there to be more classification uh, conversation about how we can make these guidelines more more useful and more reflective of the diversity of the medium rather than trying to create kind of a large banner that fits and everything underneath it. Yeah, oh, look, I agreed. I was going to talk about some things and then Judy's just said some things in there that's made me think like, um, I suppose where, look, where... What concerns me is that we have actually seen some progression in the content that is shown within video games. But really, what we're only seeing it particularly within what I would argue is one area, and that's within violence. 
Um, you know, games that we see now are far more graphically violent than we would have seen 10, 15 years ago. And part of that's to do with the progression of the medium itself and, you know, its ability to show those things. But um, but we don't seem to have an issue. And I suppose that, like, my, my, my question to the audience, to everyone, is, is what does this say about our social mores as a society where we are more okay for a game to be rated MA15 where you can kill people in, in a graphic manner, but you can't show but you can't show a realistic conversation about a social issue that faces that faces us all. Because, um, I mean, part about where, like, where this panel came from, like when we were all having these initial discussions, um, was, and I mean, this is not, it's not a game that's banned, but it's after I played Life is Strange 2 earlier, like, I don't know, earlier this year, late last year, um, which is rated R in this country. And I think is, like, honestly, it's a, a great game. It's mature. It deals with quite significant issues, Um uh, but because there is, a, you know, a segment in there that deals with with drugs, the drug use in a relatively realistic manner, it's rated up. Now, personally, you know, I don't have kids, but if I was to have teenagers, I would far more rather than like them exploring the issues and exploring things that that are dealt with in something like Life is Strange too. Then, I mean, you know, look, I don't have an issue jumping into a game and shooting a bunch of zombies if that's what you feel like doing too. But I think it really speaks to, and maybe that raises concerns about where our social mores and our social values are coming from, um, and what we what we see is acceptable within screen culture and what is not. Um, also, I just wanted to quickly like. I think some of the most important um, legislation that needs to be looked at are, are these evolving things that are happening within games that are currently covered. Microtransactions, loot boxes, um, yeah, all of that, that to me is far more worrying than whether, like, someone's going to smoke a joint in a game. That was something we touched on um, in, in the discussion of this as well, is that online interactivity between different players is a, a realm that is not even attempted to be classified in most circumstances um, because it is such an interactive uh, thing and you can't control what's happening on the other end of the microphone. But should we be controlling what's happening on the other end of the microphone? I mean, my opinion is a resounding yes. I think that social platforms of all kinds have responsibility to moderate the actions of their players, uh, and I think um, I'll keep this brief because otherwise I'll go for a really long time. <laughs> um, uh, I also think that it's really absurd that a platform can develop a reputation for threats of violence, and particularly sexual violence, that don't impact uh, and other kinds of language that would, if included in the game in any capacity, would be an instant um, like refusal of classification. They can just platform that language over the course of years uh, and have absolutely and have that have absolutely no uh, ramification on the uh, perceived social impact of that game in terms of how it's classified. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know like I like you know my nephews like who are 13 and nine, um, have been quite obsessed with Fortnite for a while now. I got no issue with Fortnite as a game. Look, I mean, personally, it's not my thing, but I'm, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and 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 slay the game. But what I am going to have an issue with is the degeneration in the way that I see them interacting with people because of that. The the toxic culture that comes through because of that. And even now, like, um, 
when playing a one player game, I watch, you know, my nine year old nephew and, you know, like the, just the, the term, like the things that come out of his mouth, like are, are quite concerning. And you, you're right. Like, or like what responsibility, where does like, does a platform have for the content and the interactions that are taking place within that platform? There has been a little bit of movement and was touched on before. They're talking about uh, loot boxes, about randomised chance. Um, they're kind of called gacha mechanics. They're a big part of games like uh, not so much Fortnite, but other games as well. Like this is the way that games pay for themselves to be made now. Um, the the one-off purchase is pretty much the the method of the past in a lot of circumstances. Um, is that something that should be controlled with a rating system in Australia? Yes. Why? Absolutely. Um, why? Um, because being honest, like they are specifically designed in a way to trigger responses within users. And the thing is, when you're older, you can make a bit more of an informed decision. And even when, like, when you pass it, like, you know, lots of people who are older fall, fall prey to that as well. But what they, I mean, the flashing colours, the particular sounds that happen in a certain way, they are triggered to have those, you know, those core sensorial responses that, that, that bring, like, you know, the release of dopamine, which then may, like, uh, which, again, triggers the, the continual reuse of this. Um, now, to me, I think that that's pretty insidious. Like, the fact that re- the, they, they're using the research in order to... It basically in order to create something that is addictive and then charging again and again for it. And, and being honest, making a more, the people who are more vulnerable in society prey to it, that to me is really concerning. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, it's extremely dangerous. And the fact that there's, there's like active research that goes towards how to incentivize players to spend that money is 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 very concerning. Um, there's a whole website dedicated to these types of designs called dark pattern designs, um, and you know it it boils down all the way to like where they um, um, uh, where, where they place certain buttons, what color they are, what shape they are, um, putting into account where your thumb lies and accidental misclicks incentivizing you taking you to like a store page or whatever um a lot of that i think is extremely dangerous and and like ari said um i think the most vulnerable in 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 the population are the ones that you know um end up being um manipulated and so yeah absolutely i think i think there needs to be some some um some legislation that that looks into and 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 um, looks after um, that that area. What do you rate the chances that we'll start to see a better, more nuanced, uh, intelligent rating system that applies uh, in Australia in the near future? Is it a is it a pipe dream? Is it something that's being worked on? Where do you think we're at right now? Well, I mean, there was the the call for action that came out, uh, what, uh, was it a year ago or so, two years, um, that was asking for everyone within the games community to to feed into changes within legislation. Um, and I know that a paper has come out of that, but I haven't actually seen, like, too many of the changes, like, in fact, really any of the effective changes in, in legislation surrounding 
surrounding games come out of it. Um, so the likelihood of it, look, I, I think we we are on the road to it um, because again, the average age of gamers is going up and will continue to go up. Like, um, but I don't think it's it's going to be a quick process. Um, uh, and I look, I think that we need to continue having these discussions about it. You know, fighting the good fight and um, you know supporting this medium that we all love. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. I feel hopeful. I think we have um, a very strong young generation of of artists and game makers who are coming up, who are, um, you know, who who feel passionate about the the art form that they work in, um, and as you know, federal and state government um, pays more and more attention to video games. I feel like those conversations will organically happen. Um, and if, if they don't organically happen, I'm like, we have, we have organizations in Australia who will knock on the doors of, of certain people and get those conversations happening. Um, like Ari said, I think it's important that we continue to have these conversations um, that um, organizations like Acme and, and Free Play um, and Arts Hub and Screen Hub continue to um, provide space for these conversations to take place. Um, and it's not something that's going to happen straight away, but I feel hopeful that um, it will get better. Um, and I, hope, I, I just I hope that it's sooner rather than later. Mm, I think I take a little bit of a less optimistic view. Um, just seeing the way uh, that kind of the dialogue around games and the political sphere in particular has focused so heavily on games as like an export product and as a marketable product and um, rather than as an art form, uh, you know, I think uh, really that's where uh, the kind of dominant mindset around games is rather than it around their like cultural impact. And I think combined with the fact that as we discussed earlier, refusal of classification doesn't really hugely affect a lot of the sales of games. Actually, apart from Australian made games, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see uh, classification legislation sort of ossify and be pushed to the side for a few years, but I really, really hope Chad and Ari are right and that I'm wrong. (laughs) Just before we finish as well, I wanted to give a big shout out to one of my favourite online resources that's been going for years and years that has been fighting the good fight uh, with with classification. It's called refuseclassification.com. It's one of the best resources that you can get about classification decisions uh, here in Australia. Um, and it's far easier to actually find out the reasons behind decisions um, than it is through the classification board website. So, um, yeah, just I'd love to give a shout-out to the great work that they've been doing for years. And I just want to give a shout-out to Alex Walker and the team at Kotaku Australia who have done some really excellent reporting over the years uh, on the perpetual issue that is classification. If you want to find out a bit more about the history, you can go to Kotaku Australia to find out some more. Um, that is pretty much all the time we have for this particular panel. Um, Chad, do you have a closing uh, comment for us? Yeah, no, I, I also just, I wanted to give a, a shout out to um, an exhibition actually that I 
co-curated alongside uh, Amani Nassim and Harry Li Shangun. Um, we worked on an exhibition in 2015 called Play is Evil that actually grapples with a lot of these um, a lot of these themes, um, you know, themes around torture, um, death, capitalism, love, existentialism. Um, and, and, you know, we, it wasn't limited to just video games. We actually had physical games. We had like slapping games and things like that. Um, and it was just to show, just, just to have that conversation and that dialogue, you know, we had, um, games by Robert Yang that dealt with, um, themes around sex, um, we we also had you know Call of Duty and and Grand Theft Auto there alongside games like Candy Crush and um, Cookie uh, what's that game Cookie Clicker, um, and yeah I, I think I think it's really important to um, allow our audiences to experience those things and, and come to their own conclusions. Well, Ginny. Chad, Ari, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for discussing uh, in an intelligent adult way about how we should <laughs> approach classification in Australia uh, with some hopes for the future, maybe some not as hopeful for the future as well. It's been a real pleasure talking to you all. Thank you for being part of uh, this PAX Online uh, panel uh, at this Melbourne International Games Week. Thanks, Gianni. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. That was Won't Someone Think of the Children Why Australia Bans Games, uh, which went broadcast live as part of the PAX Australia 2021. You can check out a video version of that story if you'd like to watch that and see some of the games that we featured or talked about in that podcast. That's on our website, sifter.com.au. Sifter is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer. And my name is Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. If you like the show, give us a follow. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And uh, tell a mate if you reckon they'd enjoy it too. Well, it's one of the best free things you can do to support us. If you'd like to chuck a bit of money our way, we've got a brand new store where you can pick up Sifter unique designs inspired by classic video games. Uh, that is at sifter.store. Search for that. You can find a whole bunch of different designs, some really, really cool ones, and more are always coming along the pipeline as well. That's sifter.store. While you're online, come join us in our partner, in our community on Discord. Uh, you can be part of the conversation there. Share the work that you are doing. Uh, share the cool creative projects you're working on. We love to see things in progress. It's one of our favorite stuff. Um, and we meet a really nice group of people who are just really very supportive. To join our Discord, you can head to sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. That address again, sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. We've got heaps more on our website, sifter.com.au heaps of interviews that have just been featured as part of the Sifter Showcase. They're now making their way onto the website so you can check them out at your leisure. Uh, lots of video interviews with teams all around the country uh, who are putting in a lot of hard work for some lot of cool games. So that's sifter.com.au That's all for this episode. Until next time, have fun. You like insightful 
discussions about those high-profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcast, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now. We talk about those high-profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award-winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website. That's sifter.com.au. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 